What's up, Zaw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy, and I'm freaking cold because it's 6.30 in the morning. Anyways, doesn't matter. What's up, Zaw Nation? Welcome to episode 13.5 of Behind the Daw, where we usually interview music producers, artists, musicians, music industry experts on an emotional, philosophical, artistic, and music business basis. But as you notice, this is a .5 episode. What does that mean? It means that we take the audio from our YouTube series, In the Daw, and we put it in a podcast form. So you can partake of it on the go and get that perfect combination of emotional, coming from behind the Daw, and technical, coming from In the Daw. Uh, if you want to watch In the Daw, don't worry. There are links down in the description that you can go ahead and click on that. It'll take you to the YouTube version, and you can watch it. It was perfect. Three things really quick before we get started. There are three links down in the description. One of them is for the Patreon. If you could find it in your heart to donate $1 a month to help us keep bringing you these interviews forever for free, it, that'd just be, it'd mean the world to us. And plus there's lots of benefits, like you get access to a private Discord community full of other music producers. So make sure to check that out. The second link down in the description is for suggestions. If you want to suggest someone to come on the show, go ahead click on that. I'd love to hear your suggestions. And then finally, the third link down in the description is for private lessons. If you want private lessons in music production or in social media marketing, please check that out. It's been really beneficial to the people that have partook of those lessons. They can't speak highly enough of it. This doesn't even come from me. This is coming from them. So who do we have coming on the show today? We have Crystal Skies. That's right. If you didn't check out episode 13 of Behind the Dot, I'd highly encourage you to do so because this is going to be an evolution of that episode. But they're going to be breaking down their two songs today, The Chasm and Castles. So what are some of the things that we're going to be learning today? We're going to be learning many things, but here's a couple of things to specifically look out for. So number one, multi-band processing, multi-band sound design. And you, If you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know how much I love this because it's literally just sound design to the next level. It's sound designing per frequency band to make an overall sound. It's incredible. This is really, really unique. So please stay tuned for that. Second thing that we're going to be talking about is tips on how to create a legitimate super saw. We all know the struggle of listening to like an Elenium song or a Seven Lions song or one of those melodic bass dudes. And they're just like, how, how do they get their super saw so big, so fat, so in your face? We're going to talk about that. And then finally, how to use a convolution reverb for unique sound design, not just for reverb type effects, you know, convolution reverb. There's man, there's, there's a lot of things you can do with that because you can import, you can freaking import sounds into there to emulate the space in there. So what if you, what if you import something that's not a reverb? <laughs> you see where I'm going with this. We're going to talk about that. So make sure to stay tuned at the end of the episode. If you found out that you really enjoyed it, please like comment, subscribe, repost, follow, etc. whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you're listening on, whether that's Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, Deezer, SoundCloud, you know, wherever, wherever you're listening to it, it just helps us know that what we're doing. Oh, my son's crying. It's his birthday today, by the way. That's pretty cool. It just helps us know that what we're doing is legitimate, that we're moving in the direction that you need us to. So with all that out of the way, I want to introduce you to Crystal Skies. question for you so the piano so i noticed that also in the chasm the piano that you guys use i don't know if it's the same between the two songs but it's gorgeous all right like 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 it's insanely gorgeous what what are you using what we usually actually use is i'm not sure we did in this one but it's the stock uh august what's it called the august forster forster grand in contact but you know what sounds really good with that is like if you put the velocity as low as possible and then turn it up because obviously you're quiet and it has a really really nice like muted sound i mean it sounds good at all velocities especially 
uh, at least to me, if you turn the velocity on it down. So let me see if I can. We usually have it between like one and six, probably. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But like at the very at the very bottom of that velocity range is cool. Because like in the um, past, we've used Ableton's stock grand piano. And that one is actually really good too. But we moved over to this one. This is called the August Force. Yeah. And and it's in the it's in like the standard contact library that you get. Um, right, right, right. Yeah, it's a contact. So like you, you don't have to download any other external libraries for it. It's, it's oh, a, okay. It's the one that it's the one that comes with contact when you buy it. It is okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah we did actually use that. So August Forster. Yeah. So we have the velocity like really really low on these uh, these chords. I guess it's not as low as I thought, but it, it went one, fifteen. Four, one of the things I did. I don't do this all the time, but. Uh, you take a, a mid-side EQ and uh, cut the mids from like about you know just the mid-range here. I saw Noisy do it once and it sounded pretty good. That's a cool technique. It doesn't always like. If I, I guess you could go overboard with it too, but like for just one instrument in a mix, you can often make it sound a lot a lot less heavy in the mids, it's even compared with like, just a regular EQ. So that the mid is cut all the way down here, and then the sides cut just a little bit for that piano, and then yeah, a compressor. It's an EQ. But yeah, basically most of it is just this uh, this nice library, uh, August Forester, which is standard. When you get yeah, honestly, yeah, we didn't even change any settings in there either. Wow. Yeah, right. You can mess with the settings yeah. as well. Yeah, you can mess with those. We didn't, we didn't touch those. So just so that I understand, it's basically so you, so you go in, you, you type in your MIDI and everything, and then you put the velocity very low. So you're getting that very gentle sound. You're getting, you know, it's not like someone just slamming on the, the, the piano. So, but then after that, I'm assuming what you do is you kind of make it compressed and make it like nice and thick. So that basically it like still cuts through the mix, even though it's a very gentle sound. Is that kind of what's going on? Yeah. So we had the low velocity, then we, we boosted it at 16 dB with a oh. utility right oh. on there. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. 60, and then, yeah. And then, and then we, we threw a glue compressor on there. Yeah. Usually that's what we'll do. We'll just, we'll just turn it up because you'll still get that gentle sound. Do you write the, like the different sections in different projects and then combine it or do you typically write say the main drop section and then the intros and stuff all, all in one project i would say usually we uh we definitely try to do everything in one project a lot of times actually we would do the intro and the breakdown stuff before the drop i would say most of the time we actually do that and then, and then do the drop afterwards because a lot of times i would say try to like take elements from the build-up and then put it in the drop rather than the other way around I know people can do it the other way. I guess it's viable to do it either way, but that's usually that's usually what we end up doing. Yeah, the intro and the build up stuff first and then and then make the drop after that. Try to get it to flow as well as it can. When we first started making music together, he was actually in logic and I was in Ableton. So it was kinda of like we did kind of splice the projects together. But this this feels a lot more natural and easier. Wow, that's interesting. Just, just to do it all in one project. Just out of curiosity, how was the switch from Logic to Ableton? <laughs> well, I mean, Logic is nice for certain things. I prefer Ableton's workflow, though. Like, Logic has... The things I think that are good in Logic is that it has a very nice like selection of built-in instruments and uh, a nice sample library that it comes with. So there are a lot of nice sounds, especially with Logic 10, uh, which, in my opinion, was a big upgrade. But Ableton... Uh, I really, really like the, the fact that you can just create racks um, and just stack them as much as you can. The, the workflow is just, it's, it's very, very quick and easy. But I know people like who say that like logic is great. People like FL, if you use FL, it's a lot different, but people like that. Yeah. But I would say Ableton is awesome. How long would a, a, a track normally take for you? Is it like 20 hours, 40 hours? Or? Well, I would say to get it to a 80% completion percentage, we could probably do that in a couple of days, maybe a day if we were really like marathoning it. Then the last twenty percent to get it really like good, that's going to take most of the time. 
I mean, people throw around that whole like 80-20 rule thing, but it really does apply for music production, I think. Just getting the ideas down, getting the full track down doesn't take that much time. But yeah. then going back and like, yeah, tweaking tiny little things that people probably won't even notice, but just making it all like blend together as well as possible. That's the thing that takes the most time. So in this, in this context, who does what? Who does this? Who does that? You know, like, how do you, how do you split up the responsibilities? Just whoever wants to do it goes for it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's like, like we've had tracks where Aaron would do the whole thing or like, I'll start one, send it over. He'll do a section and send it back. And then we'll just like, kind of go like that. It really just depends on who wants to do what. There's really no set like, Hey, you do this. I do this kind of thing. Um, Aaron's typically more well-versed in bases and all that. He knows a lot more than I do about bass creation and all that. I'm sure he'll go into it here. Like sound design and everything? Yeah, yeah. And what would you say, Britton, what, what would you say that your specific specialty would be? Or that, that like, kind of usually you do, you know what I mean? I really like arrangement and drums. Those are my favorite things to work with. You know, typically, I mean, we, we usually do about the same amount of work melodically. Aaron's really, like I said, Aaron's really good with sound design for basses and stuff. And I, I really want him to go in with, into that. Because <laughs> it's, it gets really cool, some of the uh, bass tracks he's made and stuff like that. I've never had the best experience collaborating myself normally because I suppose like, I go in one direction and then the person I, I collab with goes in the other direction. How do you guys personally deal with that? You know, we can never really predict what the other person's going to do. So usually one of us will start something send it to the other person basically say like yeah just do whatever you want with it you know just we'll assume that it'll sound good at the end and we'll have an idea like yeah we want to make this one more either a more heavy drop or maybe we're going to go for a more like relaxed melodic vibe something like that so we'll have like some sort of structure that we want to have or or some ideas to start with but we try to leave it pretty open which is good because i tend to just like ignore what Britton says sometimes and just I'm like, I'm going to throw all these crazy bases in, even though Bird was like, we should probably not make this a heavy track. So sometimes it goes like that. <laughs> and then like, we'll take them out later or like compromise with like one or two being in there instead of like 15. Yeah. But that's what's cool about starting it from the beginning instead of starting it for the drop or something like that. Like it gives it a lot of room to breathe and there's a lot of open ideas you can go from from there. Because if, yeah. if we just have a chord progression and like a basic atmosphere and stuff and I'll send it over to him or he'll send it over to me, like you can go any direction with that. Honestly, it's it's usually the same ideas. 80% of the time, we're both cool with whatever whatever happens. Yeah. Have you guys ever wrote a song together in the same room or is it mostly just through this? We've never. <laughs> <laughs> we've never actually. We've only met twice in real life. Oh, okay. I was, that was going to be my next question. Dude, I love that. Be, to be honest, like going off on a slight tangent, I love the, the age that we live in when we can do that. So me and Adam, we've never met each other in real life. It, it's really awesome. And I am I am waiting for the day. I'm sure it will come when they invent a way to actually do this in real time, like kind of like a Google Doc, but in a, like a, a digital audio workstation. You have like any number of people just editing stuff. That's going to be so cool. So they kind of do, and we're in it. We're in it right now. Zoom, actually, it's it's not perfect technology, but basically, let's say that you two wanted to collaborate on a new song. You can pull it up on your computer, share the screen, and uh, Britain, you can control his screen too. So it's basically in real time. And you can hear, if you get the pro accounts, and you can hear stereo, so it's like you're in there doing it at the same time. That's pretty nuts. I, I didn't know you could do that. Wait, wait, wait. He can control yeah, my screen? Try that then. That's, yeah. that's pretty that cool. is nasty. Yeah. I did not know you could do that. Yeah, and so it's it's literally like it's it's still not perfect. Like obviously there there's some latencies and there's some bugs that they're still trying to figure out. But this is the closest that we've ever gotten to being able to basically hop on a video call and be like, okay, and you go and zoom in. You're like, okay, what if we do this? And you change the MIDI in real time or you reverse this or you, you know what I mean? Like, see, so, yeah, we we've played around with some idea like you know Skype 
has a share screen and uh, and we use Soundflower to route the audio from the laptop to uh, to Skype. Mm-hmm. But that like that's still kind of buggy, and I can't control the screen or whatever. But I, I didn't know this existed. But we, yeah. we tried we tried stuff like that. Can you both control the screen at the same time? Do I remember, do I remember correctly using Zoom? Mm-hmm. Yep. You could literally have like both people sort of like. Wait, are you serious? No, there's not there's not two cursors, but you control the same mouse. So that's do you? Enough. Do you need a pro to do that? Here, I'll request a remote control. Oh, I'll request. All right. So I just requested to remote control. And so you should see a little thing that says accept. All right, I accepted it. It'll come to the point where I can actually like come in here and do stuff in just a second. Oh, you got it. Oh, okay, you got it. That is nuts. Yeah, yeah he, he's controlling my screen. <laughs> but you see, you see how the latency is still there. It's just, it's still a little too much. But it's, but it's, it's good. You know what I mean? That's not bad. I personally think Splice. I hope you're watching this. I think Splice should basically buy out Zoom or at least partner with Zoom. Splice is what we use for, for sharing projects and everything. This is crazy. You know. Hit us with the base, man. What, what was some common techniques that you use here? Take the wheel. Okay. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm just gonna open up because there's a bunch of bases in this track. Okay, so um, yeah, I think this is massive, but there's like all kinds of processing stuff. For one thing, vocoders often sound really good on bases. I'm sure lots of people know. Carbon is an amazing wavetable. I don't even know. Did I even use? I didn't use carbon, but uh, that's weird because this says carbon based, but this is not using carbon. Carbon is an awesome wavetable, and you don't need to move the the wavetable knob a lot to get a nice sound. Just a little bit will make a, a big difference. But anyway, yeah, so like this one has a vocoder on it. I don't know why I put this parallel compression. This isn't even doing anything. Forget about that. <laughs> Back when I like, used to make a bunch of neuro stuff, I like paid a lot of attention to like frequency splitting and processing the frequencies differently. So like on this bass, there's a high-end one where I added like some erosion as a plugin that just adds some, some noise to the top end. Then on the mid, put an amp on there and then nothing on the low end. And what I figured out is actually, if you put an amp on the mid section of pretty much any sound, it's gonna make it sound really good. I, I don't know necessarily any sound, but like lots of sounds, like leads, basses. You should be able to solo out what like each individual layer sounds like too, yeah. like they're in the chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Solo. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So that's how I made that sound, by the way, that bass sound you can hear. That's right on the downbeat, that one. Yeah, actually, let me just solo uh, that. So that's like sort of sound at the beginning where it's like sort of swishing. That's actually the carbon wavetable. And it's just uh, like quickly scanning through the wavetable and then staying on a particular position. But yeah, let me actually first bypass this. You can hear the difference between having this frequency uh, splitter on and off. That's without it. So yeah, you could hear kind of a big difference. And actually, um, if I were doing that today, I would use, this is a cool technique for anyone who has FabFilter Saturn. I just want to demonstrate this real quick. Saturn is a sick plugin. It really is. So I would do the same technique, but just take the middle band, like split it into three bands, set this to an amp. And it's going to sound weird because there's also another one. But it'll probably sound good. Maybe turn this up a little bit. So, I mean, that's even fatter. You know, if I were to make that track again, I might even do this. Especially on the mid. So you keep the low, because if you distort the low too much, then it starts uh, starts getting really distorted and doesn't always sound good. Um, same thing with the high, but but if you just like a small mid band, sometimes it sounds really good. And the other thing with Saturn that's nice is you can just get automatic width by changing the pan knob on one of these uh, one of these bands. This will make the mid sound wide while keeping this not wide. Yeah, Saturn is really awesome. You can also do stuff with like modulation and like another cool thing, not to go off too much of a tangent, but if you like add an LFO um, and then drag this to the, the pan, you could actually do something like have one of the bands like 
kind of do this action while the sound is going on. So that's really cool. Saturn is awesome. Wow. Uh, <laughs> freaking awesome. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. No, I love Saturn. Crazy, crazy LFOs. Um, not LFOs. EQs also. Um, EQ modulation. So with the Saturn one, uh, as far as like, uh, and I guess with the multiband dynamics of what you have down here too. So where, where is your uh, crossover points at for the, the low, mids and highs? So I have my crossover po points actually automated on, this is a nice thing about Ableton actually. So I'm not sure if you could do this in Logic. Yeah, you could actually just set the macro because each one of these uh, is being split by a, a multiband compressor where one of the bands is solo. So you can see that solo point changes for these and then each one of these crossover points is matched to one of the macros here yeah basically I, this was before i had saturn where i wanted to get that sound so i kind of created it with this with this rack yeah you could you could definitely adjust these and and get kind of the same effect although i think saturn is its algorithms are a little bit better when it comes to the distortion yesterday we released the au5 video and uh, in it he talks about what you're talking about here, I guess I've never really thought about this is actually like splitting it, splitting a, a sound into three different bands and processing each band. Like this is freaking sick. Uh, he showed us where, you know, where you did the, uh, the mid, uh, with a, with an amp, he does it with a vocoder. The sound that comes out of it is, you know, anything that AU5 touches turns to gold, basically. Um, really quick, the second EQ8 that you have, that is the most interesting curve I've ever seen in my life. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, so that one, if I take that off, the, the thing about uh, the low frequencies, I think that's probably because I have that vocoder on, and the vocoder um, is probably just attenuating those low frequencies a lot. And so I, I brought them back. Honestly, if I were going to do it again, I would not probably do it like this. I'd probably do it earlier in the signal chain, not just like at the end. Basically, what I was trying to do, this is another thing that I do often, is I go into span. This, so this is span boxing, just span a free plugin shows you the frequencies of whatever sound you're playing. I think something is, but um, basically what I'm looking for when I'm creating a sound is I want it to be balanced. So I mean, right now this is not balanced at all for some reason. Uh, I haven't gone into this project for a while, but it's probably because I have this automation here. So I've got a, a high peak and then a, a band notch, I guess. And these are supposed to be moving uh, to create some movement in the sound. But at the end, yeah, I'll just try to like use an EQ to make sure that everything's kind of at the same level. Oh, and a lot of times, yeah, I'll look at other tracks to see where their frequencies are located in a plugin like this, like span, and then try to get my frequencies to sort of peak at the same levels. That's what this EQ is for. But right now it's, it's not at all balanced for some reason. I think part of it also is because the other thing I do with these bases is I almost always render them to audio so that I can process like that bass that's up there. I took and put down here and then I put a bunch of other effects on it. So it's got more compression and some overdrive and stuff. Like this one will sound a lot more full and, um, and balanced yeah balanced i, I love this because uh, so we had frequent on a couple weeks ago and and so he's talking about the same thing where basically he loves 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 creating something converting it to audio tweaking the crap out of it like just creating just something so insane and then resampling it and so on and so forth so i'm assuming that's that's kind of what your workflow looks like right yeah definitely actually i'm gonna let me show you Real quick, this is the base folder that we use. So basically, like everything that starts with ADD is one. Those are my initials, right? Uh, those are the, the bases that I've kind of created. So basically, I just bounce all these bases to audio. So you can hear those, right? Yeah. Holy crap. So those are all resampled. A lot of them are resampled from like a really long note. Like I think at the end, I have like, yeah, these long notes. Um, and these are like 
I know a lot of people who do neuroprocessing and stuff. They do like this kind of resampling thing where you create a very long note like this, put a lot of pitch bends and other modulations in it. So it's, yeah, it's a really long note. And then you like kind of listen to it, take out parts that are like, you know, interesting and then resample those. And then over time you build up like a huge library of bass sounds that you can basically just throw into your project. So that's a lot of where our bass processing comes from. This is just like that. So just stuff that's already done. Yeah. So like all these bases, but I've been doing this for like a, a while. So I have like yeah. a and another big thing that helps workflows. We have like a bunch of just racks set up for actually there's one really cool bass rack that Oh, yeah. yeah, let me show you the cool bass rack. <laughs> as long as we're on the bass rack. A lot of people probably don't use Zebra, so I won't go into the details of this too much. Zebra is really cool. It's not typically, I don't think, the best bass, but the best synth for basses. Um, the cool thing with Zebra, actually, one thing I will say about it is that if you have four LFOs, like I do here, you can set each LFO to control the rate of another LFO. <laughs> so you get all kinds of random sounds uh, and random modulation that way. To summarize, I guess it's just a bunch of bandpass and band, not band notch filters. And then there's a huge amount of effects. And actually, this technique I got from uh, one of Seamless's tutorials where he basically was yeah, creating a really, really long chain of filtering and then compression to bring back the frequencies. But just to give you the idea of like what it sounds like without and, and with this sound. So like that. With all the modulation, I'm not modulating anything. It's just uh, creating a crazy sound when you play it. And if I turn this neuro magic knob down, it's without all that processing. All right. So processing is very, very, very uh, uh, important. But just, yeah, I mean, throwing a bunch of uh, filtering and uh, compression plugins on it. In Zebra 2, have you ever played with the fractalized knob? Well, the fractalized knob is my favorite one. The effects, uh, fractals. So I love the fractals knob. So for those, I mean, from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, but basically what it does is it takes the waveform and basically starts breaking it down into fractals of itself, right? That's that's what happens. Honestly, I never actually thought about how it actually processes it um, on the low level. I'd be interested to see. Is that do you know that's uh, if that's what it does? I that's what I assumed it did, but I, I'm not entirely sure. But it's pretty freaking dope for anyone who doesn't know what it is. It's freaking awesome. Do you guys know? if like zebra effects can do that like if you can pull zebra effects onto something and you can fractalize something because that would be crazy dope oh i don't think you can unless they re released a new version of it which is very unfortunate because it's stuck in the oscillator effects which is a bit yeah unfortunate because there's times where i would like it at a different point in the signal chain and like yeah here you can't really add an oh, that sucks if, it, if anyone's watching this and they know how to do that, please tell us because that is one of the dopest knobs. I, I remember seeing you doing sidechain with that, uh, with the EQ button toggled on. Can we have a look at that? Because that's a, a really cool little trick uh, that I don't see too many people do. Uh, so on the bases, yeah, this is nice actually. Uh, we actually use LFO tool now uh, for the sidechain, but what we used to do was um, take a side, just a compressor, do basic sidechaining, but when you turn the EQ on, it will sidechain based on uh, whatever sort of uh, EQ you put on the incoming sound. Yeah, very nice technique. And especially, it's very helpful to like fine tune the sidechain. So that without it, it'll just take the you know unprocessed sound that you put the EQ on. This is a kick, but I wanted like a sharper sidechain. So I'm sidechaining only to the top end of the kick because um, yeah, that's just at the very front, whereas the whole kick lasts a bit longer. So so this will make the sidechain more sharp. For this particular track, I think it worked well. So uh, this is what I'll often do is use a high pass filter with the EQ when I'm doing sidechain if I want a sharper sidechain curve. Um, but we use LFO tool, or at least I use LFO tool now for sidechain. 
once I saw that AU5 did it. So, <laughs> <laughs> What's motivated the switch to LFO tool? Uh, for me, one of the main things is that, well, I guess LFO tool gives you a lot of control. Like, let me, first of all, you can actually like see the curve, which is nice. I like to be able to see things. So, you know, I would put this on a send because I like, I saw AU5 do this too. Send everything to the sends rather than to buses. And then you can set everything to a sidechain bus. Uh, but you can, yeah, create the curve and have it kind of, look however you want, which is very nice. I just feel like it gives you a bit more control over, uh, over what it sounds like. It also just really nice uh, things like, you know, the pulse width modulation to make your sidechain shorter with just one knob like that. Uh, and it also has a very nice feature, which is the smooth knob. Smooth at zero, you sometimes get clicks, like it says down here. You turn it up to something like just five or six, uh, your sidechain won't create any clicks anymore. Uh, yeah, so LFO tool. I'm sure like there's lots of tutorials on how to use it for side chaining. Volume Shaper is another one that's pretty nice for side chaining. Mr. Britton, I am ready for you to to douse us with knowledge. So with this specific uh, project, I mean, what 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 did you do that you felt you was just most proud of? Like, dang, I did that. That's awesome. The drop arrangement, honestly, that that was a lot of fun to do. Um, oh, because okay. at first, at first, it was like there wasn't a lot of melodic stuff. It was just straight basses for a lot of it. Would we do okay? Yeah, that that's something that that's one of the bugs with Zoom is like when you try and zoom in, it's like, oh, you want all the way, and it just like goes the whole way. So that is one bad thing, and so you're probably gonna have to use like the hotkeys for it if that'll help out. Is Aaron still able to control it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. So like back when we we had the remix for um, Hellberg's The Girl for Monster Cat, we kind of just figured out in the in the past we did like just like triad stacks for. Um, like one individual synth, like just a super soft sound. But for that, for some reason, we just decided to just like put one note for each, each frequency to kind of make our just a big chord out of just weird sounds. So this one's just a white noise layer. Oh, there it is. I would, I would say, I think Aaron probably agree with this. Like that is the basis for our super soft sound right there. Like that white noise adds so much to it. It's well, crazy. if I can just interject here, a lot of super saws, I think, suffer from the fact that there's too many high frequency components going on at the same time. So if you have a sound that sounds really, really good in the high frequencies, sometimes it's good just to like say, you know what, that's going to control my high frequencies and I'm just going to, you know, let that thing come through and kind of even low pass everything else. Uh, and then that will help it be really crisp. Uh, and sometimes you can get a good uh, high frequency by mixing a bunch of sounds together, but then other times it'll just create sort of phasing mess up there. Uh, if you have like a good noise sample, can really make the super sauce on Chris. Because um, like, here's, here it is with the, I don't know if we can hear a difference in this one. Hold on. Like, I don't know if you can tell, but it, I think it adds, you know, a, a pretty decent amount. Something that I noticed when I was listening to both this and uh, the Chasm is that, so your super saws, they cut through like crazy amount. The only other time I've ever heard that powerful of a, of a super saw was in drop your hearts part two by Elenium and said the sky. So you're saying that the way that you do it is this specific noise sound right here. Oh no, no, no. Okay. Well, I mean, this is just like one little part of it. So like okay. another one we'll have, like we'll have, I think this is a vocal layer, right? Yeah. Just play all the layers. And then we've got like another vocal layer here. And so we pitch it up and down. I actually think that's Aaron's voice, isn't it? 
Uh, it might be. I, I don't remember exactly how I got that. I think I did some vocal stretching. With, yeah. uh, what's, what's up, what's up, plugin? Michael Norris. Yeah, Michael, Michael Norris, Norris is just like yeah. Paul Stretch, except for you can put it, uh, so yeah, we can, I can just I've never, I've never heard of it before. What's it called? It's called the Michael Norris, um, spectral audio suite or something like that. You can find it. Uh, if you search Michael Norris, it's a bunch of plugins that basically do spectral ma- manipulation on, on sound. Um, and it's, it's really cool. Actually, a lot of our good atmospheres come from uh, using that. Um, it is OSX only though. It's minute. free. So we're on the third, fourth layer here. What is this? Yeah, yeah. and I'm pretty sure this is like a. I think this is like a high distorted kind of lead that we usually use. You'll probably recognize it. Yeah, the thing about all these is that they're only playing one note. Like right? nothing's right. playing more than one note. So like all all these notes are coming together to make just one big chord, and instead of having it all in one VST, um, in, in just one channel, you have it. Yeah, yeah, because that's important for people to know. Because most people are like. I think to stack something, I basically have to have five different instruments basically playing a chord, but they're all playing the same notes in the chord. They're not like taking turns or like, you know, like it's basically like this is playing the one chord, this is playing the one chord, this is playing the one chord. And it's just like, it's just this huge wall of mess. But what you're saying is that like, they're all playing a chord, but they're all playing different notes of the chord. Basically, if this is playing different notes at different sounds, so you're using a different sound to play each individual note. And then, you know, we'll stack different, the same notes for different sounds. And like another cool thing is like, what we're about to do here, like you have like plucks playing notes. So instead of just holding it out, you got to do and do and do Or sometimes we'll have our uh, arpeggios going through um, with like trance, uh, like trance pluck sounds. So so we have like an atmospheric kind of pluck sound going on there. Um, this is more trancey. And those just kind of give it a little bit of movement in the chord, I think, instead of yeah, just yeah. only on sustain, sustained notes. Oh, so yeah, these three are the next three are like the leads that form the main triads, uh, and then there's like a couple bass sounds oh, underneath. The bass layers are done here, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so these are the lead sounds. This is like a good sounds like kind of a guitar emulated emulation kind of sound that we use in almost every single song <laughs> <laughs> if you listen uh it's in it's in almost every song it's really versatile too and so i think it sounds really good just like that distorted kind of solo guitar sound and here's another lead and then you know all that kind of makes up all the you know mids and highs and then we've got then we've got our bases um here we just got three bass layers And then all together, it just comes out too. It's all put to get put through a saturator too. Right, right. So, <laughs> so on the on the main one, it's on the on the channel group. It's just put through a saturator and just got some EQ on it. And then what we do after that is we bounce that to audio. It's in the saw audio there. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we put it here and then just cut it up. All right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah you can put effects on it. And then yeah, so we'll go in. Um, that Redux. Uh, if you double click on the audio, I think we've got a bunch of pitch bend stuff going on in there too. Some um, of these have pitch bend, yeah. Yeah, and like the um, transposition modulation right there. Yeah, once you go to audio, I mean, it's not working for this clip, but for some of them, yeah, just uh, you can do all kinds of cool stuff, pitching it around, and it works on the whole stack. 
a lot easier than doing instruments on just individual sound. And then, and then, yeah, you got the audio bases right there, and I, th I think it's way easier to manipulate once you just bounce it to audio. Then, then it's just it's just easy from there on out. Uh, I heard Seven Lions does it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's why we started doing it because Cohen Sound and Seven Lions uh, did it. Oh, that's freaking awesome, dude! So it's just like a lot of research and techniques from other people we just kind of implement. Like it's it's crazy that we so we just went through your your super saw sound and like it blows me away because basically so the best the best way I can explain what happened or like what you just showed us is the the correct definition of synergy and for those who don't know what synergy is is basically when one plus one equals more than two it's basically the sum of the parts is not as big as the whole no yeah the sum of the part you know what I'm saying it's basically one plus one equals four at that point. And so uh, it's also why a lot of people collaborate because, you know, they want to create this big thing where it's like, if I put my work in, you put your work in, we can create something bigger than, than, than what we could have done alone. And so that's what's going on with the superstar right now. Cause you went through and you showed us all the parts and each part was dope. But when they all come together, it's just like, like what? The, the idea was just to hit, hit them with a wall of sound. <laughs> it's just here. There's this really high energy distorted super saw. I think the main reason why it works so well is because each one of those sounds is kind of like different. Like, you, you know, like you have a saw sound, you've got like a square sound, you've got like right. a guitar sound. Um, if you put a lot of different sounds together, each of which has its own character, then oftentimes you'll get a result that sounds really Do you choose the instruments and, and then write the different melodies in or the different notes? Or do you tend to write all the notes first with, say, one or two instruments and then split, split it all up for the different, different, different layers? Yeah, usually uh, I'll have a chord progression. Like, I think actually Britain made the chords for this song. Um, so once we have a progression, you know, we'll figure out what chords are in, uh, or what notes are in the, in the chord, and then we'll split it up among the sounds, maybe switch it around and see what sounds the best. A lot of times, you know, we'll get the chords down and then we'll say, okay, well, it'll sound better. Maybe if like this note slides up into this one, or maybe it'll sound better if it's not a triad, but it's like a, an inversion or maybe there's like yeah. a seventh in there or something like that. Like we'll change it around a little bit. Honestly, so, yeah. Honestly, there's sometimes like the chord will change, but it'll keep holding out one note too. Like there, yeah. there'll be some MIDI that'll just hold out one note the entire time while the other chords are changing throughout it. Um, and sometimes there'll be 10 layers, sometimes there'll be six layers. Uh, it all really just depends on what sounds we use and, and just like what we want to go for with it. So I'm assuming uh, as you're getting all these layers together and as you're putting in all the MIDI and whatnot, not all of them are mono, not all of them are sitting on top of each other. Basically, some are wide, some are narrow, some are here, some move to here. So you know, basically, that's how you get that huge wall of sound, right? Is you have to be very conscious of where you're putting it in a stereo field, right? Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because you don't... Uh, I think a common mistake is to make everything too wide. Uh, and if you make everything too wide, then nothing is wide. Like, I've heard someone say that before, and it's definitely true. I think it was Virtual Riot stream I was watching where he said, like, you know, if you take a saw wave that's just completely mono and then put another saw like that's detuned a little bit and put those on top of each other to create a stack. That sounds really good, and it did sound good. So yeah, using the same kind of principle, some of the sounds in this stack is wider than others, um, and I think it works better that way. I would say almost all, if not all, of our techniques, just uh, or at least the things that I know, I, I've picked up from other producers who've shared their information, so... It just took time for us to figure all this out, you know, and just play around, experiment. Uh, that's the only reason we just we just like, hey, let's let's see what happens. Put a bunch of sounds together, but just play one note, like a chord. I would love to hop into the the chasm if you do have it on this computer. Was there anything in this particular track that you did any cool sound design tricks or anything? I, I actually could share a pretty cool sound 
design trick uh, that I think I used for this, which is, okay, yeah, so these are all bounced bases, but let me just, yeah, this is a mess. <laughs> this, if you listen to the first drop of this track, like, yeah, it sounds like it looks like this. But, um, but one thing that I like to do, and hopefully I'll be able to demonstrate this here, a really cool technique. Uh, let me just find a sample. So basically the way it works is, the way I do it is you take like a sample. It doesn't really matter what sample it is. Oh wait, no, hold on. All right, I got I got the perfect sample for this. Is it the Cash Me Outside vocal sample? Yeah, yeah. No, these these balloon bases are nuts. But basically, what I would do is I would take this sample and I would say, okay, well, I want this sample to be a bass, and you want it to have a pitch quality. So what I would do is go down to the warp, um, go into texture, set flux to zero, and then this grain size, I believe that grain size is related to um i mean it's obviously related to the frequency so like if you turn it this is actually not really cool because it has um, a pitch quality to it but, but what i would do i'll just demonstrate the technique if it doesn't sound amazing find the grain size and then you kind of like decide okay what um what pitch do i want this to be at so like if you wanted it to be at um let's say a C, then you'd actually look up what the frequency is of the note C, and you take, um, like, uh, let's use A because we know A is uh, 440. What I would do is since A is 440, I'd take the sample rate of 44,100 and divide by 440, um, and maybe, more, maybe divide by 880, because you want to get a small number for this. That'll give me 50.11. So then if you set this to 50.11, this is going to be an A. Um, now it's not going to sound like that because the because this sample is not like a great sample to use. But if you use a sample that has like a really good like wide frequency range, um, and maybe I, maybe if I make it smaller. Oh, there we go. Okay. So if you stretch it, a bit, um, I think you actually have to stretch it by a multiple of uh, whatever the original BPM is in order for this to work. So that's an A, but like that's got some nasty movement in it. So if you wanted that to be a base, uh, you could you could freeze that, and then um, I what I would do is I would high pass it, and then put a sub underneath it, and maybe do some processing to fill out uh, the other frequencies. So that's one of the things I use for a lot of these bases, which have like kind of like you know a gnarly sort of like. So once you have all kind of your sequence down and everything, what you do. Uh, according to what I'm seeing here, is that on on the group level, then you throw on what well, looks to be like an EQA, and you're kind of like automating the the cutoff, right? Is that what's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think this is a low pass filter. You know, honestly, this is like this track, especially the first drop, was like a sound design experiment. So <laughs> I was messing with all kinds of stuff. Quick question, then, since we're then, since we're here right now, what's your what's your process with uh, sequencing this? Because I mean, obviously, you have a bunch of audio, and it's kind of like trial and error. You put this here, you see this, blah 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 blah. blah. I mean, but do you have any specific workflow to kind of like sequencing these all together to make them work together? I think what I did at first um, was I put in all the bases, like all the main bases. So like, uh, you know, this one down here, these, um, these main ones, yeah, these ones down here, kind of sequence it like that just to get, um, get bass sounds that sounded good. And then all this stuff up here is just extra layers uh, to give it some character, some depth, like this layered bass. I mean, some of these are other bases that I just high pass and put on top of them, get a really thick sound. So that's kind of how it worked is that I was like, okay, I'll, I'll put some 
basic bass sounds down here. Um, and then I'll layer a bunch of stuff on top of it. <laughs> Just randomly almost because, yeah, none of these sounds are really related to each other at all. With all these different sounds and stuff, how do you keep organized? Or I mean, I see you're using color coding. Is there much logic to it? Or do you just tend to memorize it based on your memory when you're working on it? If I remember correctly, uh, the color coding, I'm not sure that actually um, is related to anything, to be honest. <laughs> I think I, I had it set where it just made a random color when I, I dragged things in. This one, like I can kind of tell like, okay, this is the layered base because it's yellow. So, you know, uh, so I chopped it up. So those ones are going to be the same. So it is, it is a little bit confusing though. Um, like if I were doing it again, I would probably not do it this way. I would probably, first of all, I would put these things in a different bus because this is, these are bases. I would put those in like a glitch bus or something else to keep them separate because some of these aren't really bass sounds like that one is, but some of these aren't. <laughs> so it's a, it's a bit hectic. I wouldn't do it this way again. This isn't yeah. what our projects usually look like. <laughs> How do you go about conceptually mixing a project like this with all the different layers? Do you, do you literally go like layer by layer and kind of make that sound as good as possible and, and mix it? Or do you tend to just kind of throw the track together and then see what needs doing and then work that way around? Kind of a bit of both, I would say, right? So like, yeah. Like we'll go through, we'll make the track kind of mix it to the best of our ability, like at the time, like as, as without getting too insane with focusing on too many little details. Because like I find that when you do that, when you focus too much on the little things as you're going through the song, you're never going to finish it. Because that's happened to me in the past. It's like our, our general thing is like, I don't know if you guys see like the begin, the more hats here, and then the end. Um, those are locators. I usually like to put them in. What we started doing is like putting in like start, verse, so like every eight bar, 16 bar, whatever, we will have one at the end. And just, yeah, we'll drop one, uh, build, breakdown, whatever. And that helps a whole lot with workflow. Um, just kind of focusing like, okay, I'm done with this section. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. And once we get to the end, we kind of mix it as we go, I guess. And then when we're done with the song, we'll go and we'll add elements. We'll mix everything in. And then we'll open up span on the master. Just kind of focus on what, what what needs improving. We'll reference another track that we really like that sounds kind of close to what we're wanting to sound like frequency-wise. And then we'll just kind of mix the layers based on, on the reference. And also our masters, I don't know if you saw, we don't actually have anything on our mastering rack except for a limiter. That's all we put on there. So, <laughs> So there's, there's really not a lot that goes into there. Quick question. So is what you're doing with Span right now, is this what most people do with uh, with Ozone where they're frequency matching? Yeah, I mean, I would I would say so, sort of. Cool. It's just a yeah. frequency analyzer. We, we just, you know, we just yeah. do, Ableton has one built in. So you don't, I mean, Span's free, but Ableton's got one. It's it, it's it's good, but it's I don't think it's as good as Span. Okay, I see what you're saying. So, but, but basically, like, you look at the, basically the frequency curve, of another song, of a reference song, you'd be like, okay, uh, 500 hertz is crazy in our song. We got to bring that down because of this song. Right, and it's just it's just all about like taming some of the harsh frequencies that we can't necessarily hear, but we can see it. In a way, yeah. like it sounds good. Absolutely, I would say referencing another track is responsible for like probably 75 percent of my improvement as a producer. And I think a lot of people like send us tracks and like are asked for feedback on them. And the first thing I do, I put it into Span and look at it, and I think if someone like anyone who's a producer who wants to like get better at producing as quickly as possible, like load in tracks. If you're not doing this already load in tracks that you like, uh, in the style that you want to produce, figure out first of all, like what the sections are, how long they last. Um, look at the frequencies and like notice like how loud the sub region is, how loud the high frequencies are, um, where those are peaking at. 
Um, and then, and then effects like, you know, when they're using effects like risers, things that are falling, things like that, how loud they are reference, all that stuff. I feel like that's easily the fastest way to improve as a producer. So well, definitely would recommend. Another thing on that topic too, is I think if you want to get better at sound design in general, find someone you really like an artist you really like. I've seen this done and it's helped it helped me and a lot of other people. Uh, and just kind of like, not, not necessarily copy, but like, try to get their sound like try to make that sound that they have um, on your own because that'll help you really learn even tutorials help that with that too but like it'll help you really learn the ins and outs of serum or whatever serum is amazing like if you try to make anything for artists you look up to you know you'll learn a lot from that i think Let's say that uh, basically Britton and Aaron were walking down the street because it was one of the only times that they're together and they find a time machine. They hop into that time machine. They go back in time and they're like, oh man, we're at this point in time where we haven't created castles or the chasm yet. And you're like, man, let's recreate them. And you you still, you can retain all your wisdom that you had before, but you want to basically save as much time as possible because you know what's not going to work and stuff like that. What would you do differently? Uh, well, one thing I, I guess... What I would do differently, the first thing I would do differently is, uh, well, we spent a lot of time on uh, on the vocal processing before we figured out what was actually right. going to work well. I mean, that was like, the most difficult thing. And that was like, for Castles took us like a solid three days just to get the vocals down right. Definitely, uh, vocals are tricky. So and it depends on the specific voice as to what kind of processing you're going to do. But this one, um, Brooke's voice needed like great voice, of course, but like, it was it was really tricky to get it like sounding full in the in the lower frequencies. So um, I think we ended up putting a vocoder underneath it at, at certain points to really boost it. If knowing what we know now, we would have definitely tried to do that a little bit quicker instead of experimenting with a bunch of techniques that didn't work. That's pretty much it. I would say maybe a little bit different bass arrangement. I think some like a lot of the basses are really good, but some are kind of like harsh in a way. I mean, not harsh. Um, the super cells are kind of harsh. I think. I think I would yeah. have toned down just a little bit, uh, the white noise just a little bit. Taking one of my normal questions and kind of expanding it a little bit, so not specifically just these two tracks, but in general, what would you say is the thing you guys find the, the, the most difficult? Is, is it like, uh, say, mixing or sound design? or Honestly, the thing that takes the most time, I think, is just the mix down. Everything else comes pretty natural for, for me anyways. I, I think Eric's yeah, the same way. Um, I would say... We could finish the track in a day. Yeah, for me... It used to be the sound design. Then I worked like exclusively on sound design until I was like decent at it. And then it used to be the mixing. Like I used to struggle so much with mixing. Uh, now I'm pretty comfortable with making a, a decent mix and master. But now my main struggle is it, it's flow. It's like you know you can put all this all this stuff together, but it needs to like there's you could have two tracks that are equally well mixed and have equally good sound design, and one flows really well and the other one doesn't. And figuring out what causes one to flow well and the other one not to is kind of like something I'm focusing on now. Uh, that's one thing that I still struggle with sometimes. I can't remember which one, which song it was. I think it was actually, it was the one with the girl, so Castles. Like right before the drop, so uh, obviously like during the verse and everything, her voice is gorgeous, you have it sounding great. And then right before the drop, what you do, what you guys did, correct me if I'm wrong, but you you added a vocoded layer kind of like more towards the background, right? Is that what happened? Cool, cool, cool. So I love that. Like, I honestly think that the vocoder, I've mentioned this before, but I feel like the vocoder is one of the most underused anything in electronic music, to be honest. Like, it's freaking incredible to basically be able to make 
a fusion of any sound with your voice is just unbelievable. But something that I noticed is that, and I, and I think it was actually in the chasm is that in the, the end of the second drop, or maybe it was in castles, the end of the second drop, you kind of like brought the, the vocal back in. So it's like singing as the drop is going. Well, I've kind of noticed as a rule of thumb and adjust this and change it and manipulate it as much as you want. But kind of something that I've noticed is that like the verse and the drop kind of have their own place in the sense of like the verse is kind of like where the most of the time if there's a vocal and whatever is like where the acoustic not really acoustic but like organic elements like really shine through and they're like here i am this is me you know like if you have a beautiful piano or a guitar or or uh, or you know like someone singing or, or whatever and they shine through and then obviously as the drop comes in most of the time it's where like the synthetic or the electronic elements shine through and they're like what's up you know that kind of a thing like like that's where your drop bases are and all that kind of stuff for me i feel like if you bring the vocal back in into the drop i would love to see more vocoded vocal elements where it's still like yes i can tell that that was originally from the vocal but now it's kind of the vocals more so taking on this synthetic this this electronic texture to it and to me I, I i've heard that in some songs and it's just like wow because it's like basically in the verse it's like uh, uh organic elements with a little bit of a little bit of synthetic stuff and then in the in the, in the drop it's the synthetic synthetic elements with a little bit of the the, the organic stuff and so if if personally that's just my thing and so i would love to see that more basically with this very long-winded suggestion is that vogue code more because it's freaking dope dude and especially if you have a great vocalist which you do on both of these songs and so does that make sense oh yeah for sure i think i think you hit a good point there because i think alinium does that a lot like with his like weird distorted vocal stuff over the drop layer it, it you know He's got this beautiful voice all the way through the intro of his song and then in the drop. It's usually a bunch of like cool vocal edits that are really electronic sounding. Boom. Perfect example. Way to go, man. Other than that, guys, the EP was crazy dope. Like when someone suggested that we should bring Crystal Skies on here, I was like, I've never heard of them. I listened to them and it was literally like a minute and 30 seconds in and I was like, yeah. like yes <laughs> yeah so, so not, not really feedback but more of a cool idea that i think you guys will have some fun with so did i remember seeing you guys have trash 2 uh, the isotope plugin did i remember that yeah perfect yeah so did you remember you did uh you, you were talking earlier about distorting just the, the middle frequencies so you, you you may have seen it in in trash 2 or you may have not um, i'm not sure but but you can do multi-band uh distortion in trash 2 um but like trash 2 can go quite a lot further than uh so something like ableton or saturn um simply because you have like all the different like banks of distortions. So there's like, I don't know, like 60 or 70 different distortion types alone um, in the trash two module. Uh, yes, yeah, so you, you can basically make it multi-band and then you see where it says like distort, drive, faulty, fuzz, heavy, and so on. Um, like literally each one of those has its own uh, distortion algorithm. Um, and then inside of that, you have like at least one or two parameters to then change it. And then on top of that, you can even like wave shape it yourself by adding in your own nodes. Um, so you can kind of like take it quite a lot further than, um, well, I mean, it, it, I mean, I, I wouldn't say your tracks definitely need it or anything, but if you're feeling like you want to almost, almost like take that concept to the next level, uh, this is almost the, well, in fact, it's like the, the distortion plugin that pretty much everyone uses, like Skrillex and Noisier and all, all, all of these guys. Uh, like it looks a bit complicated at first, but I'm, 
within like five, 10 minutes, it's, it's not too bad. It's really, really good stuff. Certainly for, I suppose, for like really simple distortions, the the quality difference will be like negligible between, between say, uh, Saturn and Trash 2. But for doing those kind of really wild distortions that almost take it further than you'd think of as distortion, uh, yeah, there's nothing that really beats Trash 2, to be honest. It's, it's really cool. Yeah, this looks this looks really cool. I don't think I've experimented with the multiband mode here before, so it's definitely. And you can also do that uh, some similar modulation thing that, that you're talking about. So if you go to maybe that's filter, I was getting a model. So you can do like pre and post filtering. Oh, I suppose it's some similar but slightly different. So in the uh, the, the the filter buttons down below, I think. Yes, yeah, so you got the pre and post filtering. You can basically use either LFO or envelope modulation uh, just by by turning on the uh, mod thing. Um, uh, you have to turn on the filter with the on button just to yeah yeah perfect and then yeah it's, it's a really w weird interface you have to click a node first and then to click a node yeah and, and then with the with the envelope and lfo you can you can do things like choose a like a vowel filter so you, you don't just have normal like low pass high pass and shelves and stuff you can choose like vowel filters and, and then by like modulating um, the vowel filter with an LFO. Normally, I suppose you can do pre, pre or post. You can get these like super wild, like human sounding distortions and stuff that not too many people play around with, to be honest. Oh, wow, that's cool. This is oh, yeah. oh, that's nasty. So these one of these nodes, oh, this is just an AQ though. So you can actually... Uh... Yep, so you'd have to use it either, like, like we'll give you quite different results, but you just do it either pre or post or, or, or both. I'm sure I could figure it out uh, messing with the plugin a little bit, but that looks really cool. I did not know this had this uh, this capability. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, definitely the what well, I do tend to recommend. Trash Two has been the best base processing plugin. Like, if if, if you only have one thing, and, and to be honest, you can't go much better than Trash Two. Also, something that he that Adam showed me on this that not very many people know for sound design. Right next to the filter two is the convolution reverb portion, which the sound design uh, capabilities with convolution reverb is mega dope. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is involved with, with like all this stuff that's not necessarily like, uh, an impulse response. Well, I guess it probably is an impulse response, but it's for like... Yeah, exactly. So the impulses are like impulses in the normal sense of convolution reverb, but they're, but they're so short that you, you kind of hear it more as a body than like a reverb tail. So it's, it's like a way of giving a really unique, really pro-sounding uh, bit, bit of something to the, to, to the sound, yeah. Ooh, nice. Yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> oh man, I know what I'm going to do for the next two hours. <laughs> hey Don Nation, hope you enjoyed episode 13.5 with Crystal Skies where we broke down the chasm and castles. If you are interested in the Patreon, giving suggestions for people to come on the show or private lessons, make sure to click those links down in the description. And again, if you like the show, make sure to like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow, whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you're listening on, like Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Deezer, YouTube, wherever it is, it just helps us know that what we're doing is moving in the direction that you need us to move in. And then finally, I want you to make sure to check out the next episode of Behind the Dot. The next episode right after this is with John. Johnny Third. Now that guy is extremely Australian. He's going to bring a lot of knowledge to the table. It's a very unique interview. When we were interviewing him, his girlfriend showed up who we just happened to be talking about. And we asked her some things about his music career and how she's been able to, you know, support him and cope with him and so on and so forth. It was a really, really great episode. So make sure to check out that episode. It's the episode right after this episode 14 of Behind the Daw with Johnny Third. And Daw Nation, I want you to have a fantastic day. Take care. See you on the next episode.